Welcome to Twice Five Miles Radio, fertile ground for conversations worth listening to and remembering. I'm your host, James Nave. This is an imaginative storm-produced podcast, always airing first on WPVMLP Asheville 103.7, streaming online WPVMFM.org, the voice of Asheville heard all over the world, and on other community radio stations like KCEI, Cultural Energy Radio out of Taos, New Mexico. Thank you, Walter Parks, for our theme song, WalterParks.com, for more of Walter's music, and thank you, Devine Dial, for managing WPVMLP. PVM FM from the community radio station there on Wall Street in downtown Asheville, North Carolina. Today, my guest is Eliza Santiago. I met Eliza about a month ago when I was looking for someone to help me with my social media work, not only for the Imaginative Storm Project, for my personal work as well. Eliza came highly recommended, and when we first connected on Zoom, I began to understand why. And then we also met in person to begin the work that she and I were going to do together. And when we met in person, I discovered Eliza was not only a social media expert, she collected fountain pens. And my goodness, she told me more about fountain pens in 15 or 20 minutes than I'd ever thought of in ages. Turns out, there are a lot of people who collect fountain pens, and it's a very complicated hobby. And as soon as I realized how much passion Eliza had for fountain pens and ink and paper and writing and handwriting and studying all of that, I of course, had to invite her to come on Twice Five Miles Radio. So here's my conversation with Eliza Santiago. Hi, James. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. And we were talking in the coffee shop the other day, and you were pulling out all of these different pens. And I would mm-hmm. just like to get right into this. I had no idea there was a pen culture existing in the world. I've always owned one fountain pen, a Waterman, I bought for $40, and I've used it for the last three or four years, almost worn it out. But clearly, that's not where you are with your pen enthusiasm. So tell us about why you are so excited about pens and typewriters and language and the analog way of doing things in this digital world that you work in. It has a lot to do with the kind of person you are. All these things, they tie together. You, It's very rare to find a pen enthusiast who is not a book lover, who doesn't like to write, and who doesn't like the spoken word. It's all tied together. This love for the written word, the spoken word, paper, the way it smells. It's, it's very tactile, very emotional. It's very nostalgic and it kind of hits you on a soul level. Like when you're writing down something, you're actually doing something. Everything about it is just fascinating. My fascination with anything paper started at a really young age. My mom bought me my very, very first journal and I kept writing. And you know how you write and you want to keep getting better and better because you write so much. So off I go to the school supply store, try out different pens, and one thing led to another. And there I was starting to collect different sorts of pens. Finally, at this age, when I can afford it, I went into fountain pens. They can cost a pretty penny if you're really into this. 
When you say they can cost a pretty penny, can you give us an idea of the range? I know I paid $40 for my Waterman mm -hmm. fountain pen, which is a far cry from the Uniball you buy at the Walmart <laughs> stores or the or the drugstore. I thought I paid a lot for my pen, but obviously not. There are brands where the entry level, I'm talking entry level, like the cheapest pen they have is $650. That's entry level. I have not personally researched what the most expensive fountain pen is in the world. But personally, like in my circles, I've met people who have dropped 5,000 euro on a single pen. So it can go to that. And it's like nothing. It's like one of 200 in their collection. When you buy a guitar, a really expensive guitar, or if you acquire one that's expensive that's been passed down from one owner to the next to the next, or the same is true with the violin and other instruments made of wood, they have their own character. They play a certain way. They resonate a certain way. You can even sometimes recognize the sound of a guitar as its own, as it, having its own particular voice. Pen does one thing. It delivers ink to the page. So why... Or why do all of these variables exist? It's all in the writing experience. The way you are as a person, what your preference is. Like I like fine nibs. I like writing with a fine nib because I just like the way my personal handwriting looks like with a fine nib. Some people like broad nibs. Some people like architect nibs. Some people like music nibs. And then the weight, how heavy it is in your hand or how thick the pen is. So you can see all these different, you know, ways you can enjoy a pen, whether it be slim or a fat pen or a short pen, a long pen, one that's resin, one that's tortoise shell. It feels different than one that's made out of wood or of metal. And then there's the nib. Do you know that there are people called nib meisters? Nib meisters, Nave. They grind the nibs to a special special way that a person wants to write nib meisters there is such a thing and at the recent recently concluded manila pen show there was a line for this nib meister to personalize and specialize their nibs or repair their nibs you, you can't just go to anybody you got to go to the nib meister would the nib meister be similar to a fine watchmaker Something like that, because they've got these tools. If you can imagine how small the nib is, they have got to align that perfectly. The two times where the ink comes out, sometimes they misalign. They have to align that perfectly and then grind it to a certain angle. And it's that small. Because writing is very personal. When you write something in a piece of paper, it's so different from just typing it out on a laptop. It's a physical act, pouring it out. It's you moving, your hand moving the pen to, and putting the ink onto paper, immortalizing whatever was in your brain. It's a very personal experience. And people who love to write by hand want the best writing experience from the pen, the ink, and the paper. I've talked to some people and they say they would rather write with the keyboard because they think so fast they're mm -hmm. not able to keep up with their thinking when they write longhand, which is probably true. What do you think about that contrast? That is something that's happening now. You know, you and I, we both lived at a time when 
there was no such thing as a fast laptop keyboard. When you have thoughts that are fast in your head and you have to write them down, you have got to slow yourself down and write carefully. Writing things down has become luxury. It's a privilege that I have. I take an hour a day to journal, to plan. It's part of my schedule. I cannot end my day without opening up my journal or my planners and just writing what happened to me that day with my pens. That's how I close my day all the time. It, it feels finished when I write it down. So I know that you use different colors of ink when you write. Mm -hmm. So when you're journaling in your morning or as you're writing in the end of your day, mm -hmm. I know you also, because I watched you do this when you were taking notes when we met, you use the different colors. When you go back into your journal, is it like looking at a rainbow? What do you think? Yeah, I'm showing you have it right now. You're my showing journal. me, yeah. It's, Would you just flip through, flip through it and describe it a little bit so people can, oh my goodness, this is not a journal. This is a something very, very different. And it's also <laughs> a very fancy journal too. Uh, I crochet the cover myself. I did this cover. This is my journal, like my thoughts, my diary. So I like to decorate so you can see how there's like pieces of stationery, washi tape. Sometimes it's fun. Sometimes it's serious. I just like, looking through this and it becomes a, a story of my life this is my journal this is my everyday journal and you hold that up and we flip through it and we see the calendar and uh -huh. we see dates and we see uh, little tabs that tell us where where to go and also and on the daily calendar i am seeing little stickers and all kinds of mm -hmm. imagery. So you have a regular business-like calendar, but I will say, as I'm looking at this for folks listening, which everybody is listening to this, I see a very precise layout here. The geography of your page is absolutely mm -hmm. beautiful and dramatically well-organized. Now, this is a cult favorite among planners and journalists. This is a Japanese brand called the Hobonichi. This is called the Hobonichi Cousin. It has a yearly, monthly, weekly, and daily view. And it's just for people who like to organize their thoughts and their life into these little increments. So the monthly helps me give an overview of what's ahead. And they put Sometimes a little reminder of how I felt that day. It's called back planning, going back to your week and sort of take account what happened during my week. This is what happened during my day. I go through it. I go, even something as mundane as I went to get coffee. It's just appreciating the little things that happen in your life and being aware of how you spend your day. You know, are you making use of your time? It's not even, oh gosh, I'm wasting my time. No, it's like, I know what I'm about every day. Today, I went on a day for myself. I went to a cafe. I drank coffee. I sat quietly. That's my daily. One page per day. One page per day. And it looks exactly yeah. the same way as the others. It's very clear, very precise. What intrigues me about this is 100 years from now, 200 years from now, we're long gone hopefully not forgotten, but likely nobody will think about us all that much. <laughs> Somebody will come along and maybe find these documents in a box. Maybe your great grand 
daughter mm-hmm. might find these documents in in the box and the documents left behind handwritten like yours will be the the records of of our day what we're putting in the computers will not be there all we mm-hmm. will have will be the records of what we the record of what we write down now that's a very powerful idea i think mm-hmm. it is it is there's a reason why people keep books still there's something special about physically writing something down. For me, it's more immortalizing than a digital journal. It's more personal. It's more intimate. We've talked about the nib, and then you also have briefly touched on the pen. And then, of course, there's ink. You told me about the ink, which is a completely different scene mm-hmm, than mm-hmm. the nib and a the pen. A whole different world. A whole different world. So a lot of people, when they buy a pen, they have to buy a matching ink. They match the personality of the pen with an ink. Like I, with this pen, I'm showing Nave a pink pen called the Jinhao 100 Centennial. It's pink and resin. It's kind of marbled. I went through three bottles of ink to find the perfect rose-colored shade of ink that would match this one. So now it's filled with that ink, the Ferris wheel, royal rhubarb. That's what it's filled with. And I love it. And this purple pen, I had to match with a purple ink because it's a purple pen and it's, a, it's what's called a demonstrator. So you see what's going on inside, unlike this one where you can't. So it has to be aesthetically pleasing and it makes me happy when the ink matches with the pen. So a lot of people do that. They do ink matching with the pen that they have, what they feel like should be in that pen with the personality of the pen. This is the one where I put in the Suman ink, the green one, because it's just very regal. This is my first Pelican pen, the tortoise shell. And I put in the Suman ink. Suman, uh, for anyone listening out there, is a Philippine dessert. It's made of sticky rice and it's wrapped in banana leaves. And a local Philippine studio makes the color that's perfectly matched to the banana leaf that goes with the suman. That's why it's called the suman ink as a homage to our favorite dessert. (laughs) When someone makes ink, what are the basic ingredients for ink? And what about the... Other ingredients that aren't basic, how do you get all that to work? That is something that an ink master can can answer. It's not something I research myself. I'm just so involved with finding out all the different brands and all the different levels of ink out there. Because you can go from the super basic Schaefer ink that you find anywhere. And then you can go for the limited edition, only 100 bottles produced ever and you scramble for it and you keep it. It's like collecting fine wine. So if I gave you a very rare bottle of ink for your birthday. Oh, I would love you forever. I'll have to find a pen that goes with it then. <laughs> so here's my question. You go out and you find the pen that goes with this very rare bottle of ink. That's it's the best in the be- of the best. What would you use it for? Would you take notes with it at a business meeting? Yes. Or would you, yes. you, you would just use it as usual? Just no big deal. No, I would use it every day. I will savor the feel of the pen in that ink. That will make me happy. 
And then if so you, happy every day. And if you bought the pen to match this top shelf ink that I gave you for your birthday, once that ink was gone, which it eventually would be, would you try to replace it with the same top shelf ink? Or would you think, well, I can't afford that. I'll switch off and put another ink in my mm-hmm. beautiful pen. I'll find another ink that will find a home in that beautiful, beautiful pen. That's the beauty of this hobby. There are always people creating beautiful things for you, beautiful pens. It's a passion for a lot of people. And then there are what kind of collector you are. There are people who just like collecting fun fountain pen inks or or fun, fun fountain pens. There are people who specialize in vintage pens. They really go out of their way to make a list of pens that they can, they have to find in their lifetime. And some of them have found that in an antique store in London, in a thrift shop in, in, in Maryland. And they share it. We have a group called the Fountain Pen Network. And they're like, I found my Holy Grail pen in all places, in some small shop here in Germany. Here it is. I found it. A lot of people who... A lot of people journal and a lot of people have their morning pages and they mm-hmm. work with the artist way ideas and other other journaling ideas. How do you find the array of ink pens? How do you think it affects the way you write? If I gave you a cheap big pen, would your writing change? It will change. Yes, it will change. We do ink swatches before we buy a pen or a pen or an ink to match to see what your writing will look like with this pen, with this ink on this paper level, this pen, this ink, and this paper, because you write with the same pen and ink on a different kind of paper. It changes totally. Talk about paper. Paper. Okay. So you've got your standard, whatever paper, some notebook that you bought somewhere standard. And then you have, this one I showed you earlier is made from paper called Tomo River paper. It's really, really thin. If I show you a blank piece, it's like onion skin, almost transparent. But see how it holds ink. There's no ghosting or bleeding or anything like that. And it's so thin that it can hold this many pages and still remain just this thin. As you hold that up and I look at it on the Zoom call, people aren't able to see it. The paper is dramatically thin. So you're saying 200 maybe pages in that book that would be uh, Um, more. Not just because this is a daily, these are daily pages. This is three, at least 365 pages for the daily. Oh my goodness. And that looks like it's about an inch and a half thick. It's yeah. tiny, tiny thickness. Wow. And, and then we find the paper in the strangest of places. I, I packed it away, but there's this brand of paper that makes paper for primary school students. And it is the smoothest, most fountain pen friendly paper you've ever seen. And it costs, what, 40 bucks? And we are scrambling to get pads and pads of this paper to practice our handwriting. It's made for third graders, but it's a beautiful Japanese company that produces this paper. And we just snap it up whenever we see them. It's called the Mika writing pad. Really, you see it, it's for, it's for a third grader. And it's beautiful paper, just beautiful. 
You've also reminded me about handwriting. I noticed when we met, your handwriting was very precise. And as I can see when you're holding up your material, showing me the, the width of the pages and the, and the different ways of laying it out, your handwriting is precise. Is that something you practice or have you mm -hmm. practiced it enough so that you can do it with ease? I don't practice my handwriting. I just write. I do. I do. Um, it's taken me a while to get to that point of writing that precisely. I do practice my handwriting. I do. I used to do uh, handwriting drills on sheets. And then I do a handwriting daily prompt. There are several accounts I follow on Instagram where they specialize in giving handwriting prompts to people. So it could be list down all the places you want to see before you die or all the capitals in Asia. And you write those, write those down, just practicing letters, whether it be cursive or print, however you want to practice, whether it be calligraphy or, or anything, whether you want to use a pencil today or a fountain pen tomorrow or a ballpoint pen today. They, they just give you prompts and give you reasons to write. Even if it's just saying, uh, write down a grocery list for a family of five. That's a handwriting prompt. Students today in schools, are they practicing handwriting or no. is that gone, oh, yeah, gone that the way, way of the way? My son. My son has the worst handwriting. And we used to have handwriting class when I was in primary school. And I asked, um, why is there no handwriting class anymore? And they're like, it's a, it's a skill that's not a priority with this generation. They just type. I wonder how that's going to affect them psychologically in terms of their creative range as they move through. Mm -hmm. I agree. So as much as possible, I try to encourage my son to write when he has something to tell me that he finds difficult to express. I give him a piece of paper and a pen. I said, you try writing it down and see if that's easier for you. Or I, try, I just try to get him to write as much as possible. I make him write out grocery lists. I call out lists to him. I give him a fountain pen, things like that. So I don't want it lost in him because I love it. He And he sees it, you know, by modeling. He sees how much I love uh, pens and how I savor the moment. That one hour in the evening where he knows better than to disturb me because <laughs> I'm just there with my stickers and my pen and my ink and my notebooks. I have 11 working notebooks right now. This is you, Nave. This is your book. You want to see your book? This is your book. Oh my goodness, I this have a book. This is just for you. This is for you. This is your book. So This is Nave and Imaginative Storm. So for people listening, Eliza's helping me with my social media, and she's also helping me and Allegra Houston with our work on the Imaginative Storm Project. So she's doing double duty with me, so that's why I have my own notebook. All right. I'm very happy about that. I bought this especially for you. It, um, this is how I work. I buy a notebook first. I find a reason for it later. Let me ask you one thing before we move into the a conversation about the digital space, which is something you're very active in. I am thinking now, as you were talking about your son, talking about how he knows how to handwrite, and yet it's really not a very, it's not very good handwriting. And then you said that the handwriting is no longer part of the school curriculum because students can just type it or speak it into the microphone. A hundred years ago, 
the ability to write by hand was one of the most prized of all the educational feathers in the cap. Ten years from now, the ability to write by hand will no longer exist. Yes. Now it's just a hobby. Calligraphy is a hobby. It's, It's a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful skill in art to practice. You know, because there's so many dimensions to it. Again, not just um, not just how the 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 words are formed, but the kind of pen and ink and paper that you use. And uh, I am so in awe of people who are at it and practicing it and keeping it alive. I love calligraphy. It's not a skill I have, but I just love looking at it and watching people do it. Handwriting is becoming a lost language almost, if you could call handwriting I, I, a language. I, I, I'd like to believe it's um, it's experiencing a, a comeback because there's so many YouTube channels now dedicated to planning and journaling and handwriting and pens and all that. The, the beauty of it is that digital is helping this skill and this world be alive and communicate that to everybody who's on the internet. There are whole channels dedicated to analog, fountain pen creators, Japanese stationary specialists, things like that. And digital is helping that interest. They're working together. I would say that it's not going to die because it's just too beautiful. There are too many of us who appreciate it too much, who can never let go of a pen, in a, of a simple pen in a paper. And we are going to use digital as much as it's looked at as our enemy, so to speak, to further the interest to other people. I know a lot of people who got into this just by watching a channel, just by watching people do this and say, that looks like something I want to do for my mental health. I want to try it. That's something that people forgotten about writing. It just does so much for you psychologically and mentally. Yeah. It's, it's a healing practice. So bridging into the digital space and a conversation about the digital space, you told me that you finished your degree in marketing and social media. And when you turned your paper in, you turned the paper in typewritten. Tell us about yes. that. So, <laughs> so um, I, I, it wasn't, it was actually back in um, my, my master's degree. I just started a few years ago with my marketing. So when I was in grad school doing uh, my course was counseling psychology, I would find it so fulfilling to type out my papers on a typewriter when everybody was doing laptops and printers and everything. It's just my train of thought just flowed better. And the professor picked it out of a pile and said, hold on a minute. Is this a typewritten paper? Wait, I have not seen one of these in Asia. And from the bottom of the, of the pile, my paper went on top and was read first with a fresh mind and an open perspective and a good grade is what I got. <laughs> so you love all things analog. I know that about oh, yeah. you. And yet you also seem to love all things digital as well. You've just mm-hmm. finished... Another degree in, I think it was digital marketing. Digital marketing, yeah. And now you're moving to Toronto to do Mm -hmm. more postgraduate work in the Mm -hmm. media marketing space. Tell us about why you are so passionate around 
digital space. And I can say to those of you who are listening out there, Eliza's helped me greatly in my own work, getting the word out around this show that we're doing right now. She's helping me get that out in the digital space, along with my poetry and the, the other work that I am doing. So why so excited about the digital space? It's constantly evolving. And a part of me just loves to learn. I'm a lifelong learner. That's one of my strengths. And I love everything that gives me wonder. Come on, in the last 10 years, look at where we where we were 10 years ago and where we are today with AI taking over everything. I have mixed feelings about that, but that's another, that's a whole another radio show, AI and everything. It's just fascinating. I love gadgets. I love technology. Just because the way it works just, makes me wow it just wows me of all all the things that i can do so that's one of my strengths lifelong learner i also love communication i love talking i love writing i love i love um connecting with people and it's so fast now i would have never met you or seen everything that you do or met or even even put it into my head to take up you know further studies in toronto if it weren't for the internet and my my desire to be more of a global digital marketer, which I could have never done. You know, if I were a marketer 30 years ago, I would have been stuck in my little corner of the world. But now I could be anywhere and talk to talk globally. And that's the language I want to learn. The 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 language of a person living living large in a world that's becoming smaller and smaller. And that's through digital. So when you go to digital school, graduate school, obviously it's a formal study, mm -hmm. it must play out differently than say what I've learned through you and other people I've connected with and through what I've taught myself. I've not been to digital school. I'm aware of what's mm -hmm. out there but I haven't been schooled. So how does a digital school work? What do, what kind of process do you go through to move from one stage to the next, to the next, to the next? It's a whole bunch of topics that constantly evolve. Like I could take the same subject this semester and the person taking that subject next semester has a totally different outline to study because it changes so fast. The, the, the value I got out of school was really connecting with other marketers, especially with Canada, with their international student population. You get people from all corners of the world sharing their experiences from where they were. And that's really the beauty of marketing, getting to know the audiences and how they think and how these people have succeeded in speaking to them and communicating a brand to them, an idea. And that's what it is. That's what marketing is, being able to talk to a certain group of people. And um, I love I love speaking to people from the other side of the world. Like I've had classmates from India, from Finland, from, from Mexico, from Colombia. And I, I love talking to them, having coffee chats and saying, what have you done? What campaigns have you done? What worked? What didn't work? And we are always so amazed at how one campaign worked in my side of the world and didn't fly on their side of the world or how I never thought of that. I'm going to try it. I'm going to propose that to my client and see how it flies. I've never thought of that. That's how amazing it is. And this semester that I spent was all online. She was in Finland. I was in Manila. 
The other girl is in Mumbai. Some people are in Toronto. Yet there we were in that same space at that particular time, sharing ideas and throwing thoughts and just just growing and learning together. What would be an example of something that would work in Manila but wouldn't work somewhere else? Filipinos, we, we love taking things personal. We just love the feeling of community. I, I think that some of the uh, campaigns here that are so casual, which I love, like talking like peers. If you're familiar with ANCAS, the ANCAS campaigns, it's, it's very streetwise, like they're just texting a friend. I don't know if that will fly like somewhere in Europe, that, that level of casual marketing. Not sure. It's a it's a bit too casual for some societies. The lingo, the slang. It's not even just slang. Not in the slang that people know. It's way more grassroots. So I don't know if that will fly, but it works for us brilliantly because the people feel seen. So I'm wondering when you were working with the people from all over the world, did you notice a common thread? that ran through all of their thinking? Because the difference would be this campaign would work in uh, Manila, but it wouldn't work in Toronto. Is there a common thread that runs throughout all of this? Yes. Basically, we all just want to connect. We just want to find that part of our brain that goes ding and draws them in into what we want to say and what we want to share, the value that we want to give them. We just want to connect. And that's very human. That's why I love marketing. It's connection. It's communication. That's why I love it. When, 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 when I have a successful campaign, something works and I see the numbers rising, it just excites me. It's like, oh, I was able to connect. I was able to, 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 to say what I wanted to say. Why do you think people resist all of this? I know a lot of people who feel repelled who will tell me they think it's the enemy. They think it's terrible. And they think it's ruining the minds of the, the ruining the minds minds in the world. What do you think right. people feel that way? It, it is intimidating. It's intimidating. It's a whole bunch of shiny metal things that clickety clack and then churns out information at speeds that they can't even fathom for people. But if you keep your mind open, you can see all the stuff that you can do. It's actually for you. It extends your skill beyond something that you didn't think you could do. Like, like I've seen you having fun with your videos. <laughs> Did you ever think that you'd be splicing and editing audio and, and all of that 25 years ago, doing your own mini productions in your social channels every day? I never imagined that, that I would do that. Although I will say, I do mine on my laptop because I have mm -hmm. the bigger screen so I can keep yeah. up with it. On my phone, it's a little too crunched down yeah. so I can't keep up with all the, the nuances of the sounds. I do have that excitement. I never imagined 25 years ago that I could do this. 25 years ago, none of these tools existed. So there was no way to imagine something that didn't exist. But as soon as it came to be, I was a lot more inclined to pursue it. And now the more I do it, the more I like to do it. Right. So for me, people who are who resist it, that, that speaks more of them. 
and the technology, the world is changing. We, we have to adapt and we have to grow. Especially me, I have a child who will, this is his world. He has never known a world where there's no internet. Never. I can't tell him uh, uh, during my time. That's it. He will never know a time where he has to navigate his way around a library of mountains and mountains of books just to find one article. It takes one phrase on Google or ChatGPT to find what he wants. That's his world. And the sooner I adapt myself to that kind of thinking, then the better mother I am. And the better I will understand his present is going to affect his future. And I have to think of his future. The school he's in, I love this, what, what they told us. We are educating your children for jobs that don't even exist yet. So we have to teach them skills such as being resourceful, being pliable, being adaptable, being lifelong learners because technology moves so fast, not to be too stuck on a certain software, be open to exploring other ways to do other things. So it's really, it's mind-blowing how your mind expands. ChatGPT did not exist two years ago. And look at where it is now. It is blowing up all over the world with much controversy, but it's here to stay. So how do we, as people who know better, how do we utilize this tool because it exists and reclaim it to do something good? That's the fundamental question. Also, it's important to note here you and I have a great enthusiasm for all of this because we've been working at it a long time. The first computer I owned was an Apple in 1988. I plugged in. That's a long time ago, <laughs> right? And I've been more or less at it in one way or another since then. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't say I'm a master at any of this, but I'm very comfortable yeah. with the screens and the keyboards and whatnot. I use these resources as tools to further the things I want to do, like make the videos mm -hmm. or, or, or store my stuff so that I have it available mm -hmm. to me. It's for convenience. It's also because I can speed things up, et cetera, et cetera. It's important to note here, if someone doesn't need these tools, there's no real requirement they mm -hmm. engage in them. You could live a complete analog life, never plugging in, and if it served you that life that you're leading, the analog life, it's fine. No reason to feel for you. Yeah, no reason to feel sure. guilty. Oh my God, I need to learn all this because I'm gonna get behind. Yes, I agree with you. I agree with you. If you could get by with a minimal I know a lot of people are going cashless, so at least those are the life skills that you gotta learn, but really getting into AI or deep into internet tools and everything and coding and all that it's not for everyone but for the kids now the summer programs that my son wants to get into is coding he wants to create his own games he wants to design his own games so he wants to study digital art and design and, and all that what used to be just something trivial like something your mom would say ah oh, you're at your computer again is now a billion dollar industry gaming Mm -hmm. So uh, one interesting story I always like to relate to other moms or parents who feel like 
uh, my son is way too interested into in gaming and esports. Is I I was a makeup artist before the pandemic, and I had the opportunity to work with several teams, national teams for gaming. They play under a sponsor. They live in the same house. They're about six guys who live in the same house and game all day. They go into tournaments, and I was curious, like, so these guys, where are they off to next? Something like, oh, they're they're going to Brazil. They have to maintain their championship. They won twenty four million in their last tournament. The youngest guy is fifteen, so it can't be dismissed anymore. It's a billion dollar industry, esports, e games. It's part of the Southeast Asian Games esports. It's a formal event. There are courses now, game development, BS, computer engineering, with a specialty in game development and design. Now, on the flip side of that, I had a friend of mine who was a professor at a college, and she was teaching poetry, and she told me she asked the students to write about how they would approach the world if the internet didn't exist. Exist. Mm -hmm. Nice. And so she proposed this to the students, and there was this blank look from the whole class. It was a look of of disbelief uh, of not of not understanding yeah it was a look of not understanding it's like they were like what are you talking about it's like saying imagine a, a world with no air yeah and and she said can you imagine no internet and the students all mm -hmm. said that is impossible mm -hmm. that could never happen like the sun will never go out and yet not that far-fetched you know, one mm -hmm. blast from the cosmic radiation. It's all gone. It's gone. The it's whole gone. thing fries and it's not there anymore. So it was really interesting to me to think that the students could not conceive mm -hmm. of it in the same sense that they couldn't conceive that the Milky Way was going to go away or that the sun wouldn't come up. Yeah. Imagine um, 20 years ago when I tell you utilities what do you think of water electricity heat now it's water electricity heat internet and when you say utilities to me i think of the utility app on the computer i click the button and look at all the utilities <laughs> but useful yeah. utility useful so we're talking about useful things here really and that's why this is an important conversation to explore. And I've also mm -hmm. done a few other interviews with people around these things. And one of the things that I'm noticing about the interviews I, I do and the one that we're doing here, I explore more when I'm talking to somebody about this subject and I stumble more. I find myself to be a little more confused, not in a bad way, but in an exploratory way. Like, okay, I'm out mm -hmm. here wandering around in this forest this jungle this wilderness and not quite sure where i am but some of these things look familiar to me and i love that halting sort of uh uh, uh that's happening when mm -hmm. i do these interviews mm -hmm. with people it's amazing how i think in the last few years our minds have been expanded faster than ever especially with us being locked down and just tinkering at home so many things came out from just being at home and just being forced to take account of what's happening or what do I want to do? Oh, I'm bored. I'm going to do this. And just so many, so much creation happened.
during that time and I think it went into overdrive. That's why, and I'm glad. I'm, I, I've, I'm seeing people who I never thought would be on Zoom, on Zoom. It forced them to sort of face reality that without this laptop, you're not going to talk to anyone. It's your only means of communication right now. It could be fair to say that the pandemic, upon reflection, will be the phenomenon that forced the world fully into the digital space. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think so. And the, um, the, 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 the argument that things can be done differently, we did it. We do, it doesn't always have to be a three-hour meeting. It, it can be 10 minutes on Zoom. And it doesn't always have to be that person that person has, has to be in the office every day and they need to move to my city to be able to work with me. That's gone. That's true. Gone. Totally gone. I don't know the difference when I'm on a Zoom call like this. You and I are actually in Manila at the same time. And you will go to Toronto and you will be in Toronto and I will come back and be in Taos or I will be in Asheville. And when I'm on this call with you, I'm right here, right now. The digital space allows us, funny enough, to be present in the moment because the moment is Mm -hmm. right in front of us. Right, right. So imagine I am leaving for Toronto and I'm leaving my son behind for a couple of years and we shrugged it off. No big deal. We'll do a Zoom every day. We'll be updated. We'll talk every day. I'll see your face every day. And he's fine with it. He's fine with it. He is excited because he gets to be in control of, of, of uh, he's got the internet to himself. He's setting up his station with his extra monitors and, and all that. He's got the space to himself now. And he's excited. For him, at 13, it's um it's time to it's time for him to be his own person away from me for a bit. Interestingly, years ago, a hundred years ago, when children worked on the farm and they arrived at thirteen and fourteen, they were considered adults. adults. Young That's adults, right. albeit young, but still yeah. considered young. And they were expected to go from being girls and boys to to being full-fledged adults, Mm -hmm. doing whatever work Mm -hmm. that needed to be done in order to make the farm or whatever it was happen. So here we are back again in a new arena, your son feeling like he now has the the opportunity to be his own person. Mm -hmm. And he surprises me. He'd be like, mom, take a look at what I made. And I peek into his monitor and he's made an, a, a whole animation with an original character. And it's moving and jumping and it's colorful. I say, how did you do that? Oh, mom, this is software that I discovered. I can do animation with it. And at the time he was 10. He was 10. Hmm. So what more can you do? If I give him the resources, the tools, the knowledge, the right people to talk to, to be mentored, the world is his. Before we close, I would like for you to say a few words to people who are struggling with the digital space, people who know they would like to enter it, but they just absolutely feel so overwhelmed by it, they don't know where to start. What kind of advice could you give the, those folks? Okay, um, to anyone who is feeling that way, the way that Nave described it, 
there's no better way to get into it than now. It's the interfaces are different. How how you work a computer is so much more different from probably when you first first encountered the computer many years ago. Uh, everyone, all the companies are just trying to make it friendly to anybody and and very inclusive. Whether you have uh, you, you need accessibility to anything, they've included that. It's the best time to come in because you're not alone and but you're not you're not alone in your frustration but you're not wanting of resources to type a simple search word into youtube or to google and you can learn anything whether it be just computers or a recipe for a hundred year old pastry that existed in israel it's a time for learning all of us want to learn all of us want to learn things big or small and um, I, I don't care how small it is that you want to learn. Now's the time. You don't have to fear it. It's it will not eat you. At the at the end of the day, it's a machine. It's a tool, and it's yours to use. It's not going to use you. You've con- you've got control. You have control. So don't be scared. And, and one of the things I've learned, which is obvious, and you pointed it out. If I have a question, I just type it into Google, and the answers pop up. Immediately. And most Mm -hmm. of the time, the question I have is a really simple question to answer. Like, how do you drop sound out of an iMovie video? Answer, option command B, and the sound drops out. You just highlight the video, option command B, and it's gone. And sure enough, it works. Yeah. How... And you know these these little bits of information they lead to other bits of information, and you grow just by asking question after question after question because it leads you somewhere. Always, that's the beauty of learning and knowledge. It never stops here. The more you learn, the more you know, the more you want it. The more the more you want it to come to you, right? It's absolutely it's, you become this insatiable sponge. For information it's exciting and it's fun it keeps well, life exciting with that on that note we've arrived at the top of our hour so it's time for us sadly to say this is it for now but more to come so thank you ever so much for being on twice five miles radio and thank you for having me thank you And there you go, my friends. Thus concludes my conversation with Eliza Santiago. Now you know that there's a fountain pen for all moods and all seasons. And of course, you don't have to spend a bundle on fountain pens. You can just go to the art store and buy rainbow-colored pencils and pens and get yourself some paper and just simply go to it. And on the other end of the spectrum, turns out the most expensive pen in the world is a -a one-of-a-kind pen called the Fulgur Nocturnus by Tibaldi. It's encrusted with diamonds and rubies and all other fancy things and sold at auction for $8 million in 2010. The first word Fulgur means dazzling brilliance, splendor, or radiance. Nocturnus means that which occurs at night. You gotta wonder if that means that if you own the Fulgur Nocturnus and somebody does, the only time they can write with it is at night. I don't know. Would you be a better writer if you had an $8 million pen? Or would you be 
just as happy writing with a pencil from the art store. Who knows? I bet it's just up to your own style, really. But it is amazing to think that there's a pen in the world worth $8 million. I'm sitting here at my desk recording this, looking at my poor little worn-out Waterman pen that I paid $40 for. And like I said in the interview, I thought $40 was a lot of money to pay for a fountain pen. I've always just gone down to the local store, the drugstore, and bought a few pens and threw them away when I was finished with them. So now we know there's a lot more to it than just going to the store and buying a pen you can throw away. I do love the idea of holding the pen and how it connects to the body, how the pen becomes an extension of whatever is going on inside of you during the time you're writing with a pen. Even the weight of it, as Eliza pointed out, it suggests something to your imagination. It doesn't have to be a literal suggestion, it's simply a suggestion, a thought, an inspiration. And, of course, the different colors do matter. Because when you think about colors, you respond to the different colors that you encounter every day. Blue reminds you of maybe something that's soothing. A baby blue color or robin's egg color would even ease you a bit more. Red, dashing, bright, aggressive, and so on and so forth. Purple makes you think of the, the duende of the night, and on and on it, on it goes. So why not have the different color inks in your pen? And when they come out across the page as you write, the ink flooding across the page would recalibrate your psychology, tweak your imagination, and maybe give you an inspiration that you didn't have before the ink came across the page. We don't know. What we do know thanks to Eliza, is that you can now be confident that when you engage your handwriting, when you engage your tools, your whole mood will change. You will be more connected with your imagination. And that's a good thing, I think. And on that note, I'd like to say thank you for listening to Twice Five Miles Radio, fertile ground for conversations with listening to and remembering. I'm your host, James Nave. This is an Imaginative Storm podcast production, and we always air it first on WPVMLP, Asheville 103.7, streaming online, WPVMFM.org, the voice of Asheville, heard all over the world and on other community radio stations like KCEI, Cultural Energy Radio, coming out of Taos, New Mexico. Thank you, Walter Park for our theme song, WalterParks.com, if you'd like to hear more of Walter's music. And thank you, Devine Dial, for managing WPVM-FM there on Wall Street in downtown Asheville. And thank you, Robin Collier, for airing this show on Cultural Energy Radio, KCEI, out of Taos, New Mexico. I really do appreciate that. And thank you most especially for listening. It's really great that you tune in, that you listen, and that you're part of this community of radio listeners. I really appreciate that. So on that note, once again, thank you ever so much for tuning in. I really do appreciate it. And I hope you come back sometime soon. And until then, out there on that grand highway, wherever you are, I'll catch you on that turnaround somewhere down the line.